having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath day, which are shadows of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let's just seek the Lord's face as we look into his word this morning. <clears throat> Father, we need your divine touch and your grace to help us to see, to know, to understand, to be able to contemplate the truth and then to walk in obedience to the truth which you reveal to us. Lord, help us to live and be as believers who are not only hearers of the word, but doers also. May the working of your life in us be a demonstration of the power of who you are and what you can do and what you have accomplished for us in Christ. Be our teacher and guide and Holy Spirit. May you be the one who interprets, communicates, and clarifies all the truth that is here. May we hear what you have to say to us as you speak to us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just looking at the clock. I have to apologize for last week. I, I, I'm so used to quitting at 12 o'clock, I didn't realize until Ken told me later that I had preached for an hour. <coughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I, I always look at the clock and say, well, I can go till 12. <laughs> but I, I forgot that I started earlier. So <laughs> but uh, I trust that it was a blessing to your hearts as it was to mine as I shared the truth. And let me just remind you of what we looked at last week in, in that uh, 11th verse as we began to look at what I call the victory over legalism. And uh, let me just say something here about legalism. Uh, legalism can either be in the form that it was in, in the time of the Apostle Paul where the Judaizers used to follow the Apostle Paul around and say well you know you're Christians now but you can be real Christians if you become a Jew and you have to obey all of these things and follow all of these rules and regulations and that will make you a real good Christian and we have we have the same idea today. We have a lot of man-made rules. And people say, if you follow this rule and that rule and follow this rule and that rule, you'll be a real good Christian, you know. And, uh, and the, the harder you try, the, 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 the lesser you go. And that's the way life is. Because the life of the believer is in Jesus Christ. And uh, it, it's important for us to understand that. So we looked at verse 11. And victory over legalism comes because of transformation. And we looked at the transformation that he spoke of in verse 11. And in verse 11, first we saw that the focus is on Christ. 
the focus is on Christ. It says, in whom? In whom? And I, I want you to notice, and I'll, I'll mention this again, but uh, uh, the last word in that verse is what? Christ. <laughs> he, he starts and ends with Christ. My favorite saying is, doesn't matter what the question is, the answer is Christ. Christ. Yep. It's, it's the answer to everything we need in our lives. And Christ is. And let me just point out again, because I think it's important. He starts with uh, the phrase, in whom. And what's the last ver- word in verse 17? Christ. Everything is in Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul said... I know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we'll see why those two are vitally bound together. But in the person of Jesus Christ is everything you and I need. So he starts off and says the focus is on Christ. Do you have the focus? Do you have the focus? Are you focused on Christ? That's, that's the big issue. The second thing, we saw that the transformation not only focused on Christ, but it is something that was done outside of our lives. Notice it says, without hands, without hands. It's not something we did. It's not something, and Paul, Paul makes this very clear because he's dealing with legalism. He says, it's not something we do. It's not something we accomplish. It was what happened in this transformation was what God did. It was done without hands. It was a divine work. And then the third thing he t- we, we looked at was that the cutting off deals with the whole of our, uh, all of our sins, the complete package of our sins. And the word I use cutting off there because that, that's what the word circumcision means. Cutting off. And he, what he is saying is the whole body of our sins has been taken care of in Jesus Christ. They've been all cut off. They're finished. They're done. And we're going to talk about that a little bit because Paul brings it up again. And, uh, and the fourth thing we looked at uh, is that the sins were produced by the flesh. That we produced our own sins. And I think it's important for us to understand that even as a believer, and we'll talk about this again, but I I, I want to remind you right here. When I sin as a believer, I only have one person to blame, and that's my flesh. I did it. I can't blame anybody else. And we'll look at that in a moment because he brings it up again. You know, Paul, Paul always believed that repetition was the mother of success. And so he repeats things over and over again so that we'll get them. And then the fifth thing we saw last week was that the circumcision circumcision had to do with Christ. It says, by the circumcision of or belonging to Christ. And uh, it's, it's what Christ did and what Christ cut off that uh, made us transformed. It's what Christ did that made us who we are. And we are now believers and we are now children of God because of what Christ did. He did it. And, uh, you know, we sing the old hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Isn't that, uh, that that's, that's the great message. And, and Paul repeats it over and over and over again, just in case you didn't get it the first time. And uh, uh, we'll see that as we go on. Now, in verse 12, he talks about what I call the operation necessary for the transformation. The operation necessary for the transformation. Let me read tw verse 12 for you. It says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now, if you'll notice, and I mentioned this last week, Paul keeps changing uh, word pictures. Now he goes from circumcision to baptism. And uh, uh, he, he's talking about baptism. And baptism uh, has, first of all, a reality. And then it has a symbolism. The reality of baptism is our union with Christ and in that union the cleansing from our sin and uh, we'll be looking at that in a, uh, a few moments in, in Romans chapter 6 but the other part of that reality is as you find it in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, the apostle Paul says for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body and uh, the reality of what Christ did for me and my salvation wasn't to make me an individual Christian. He was, it was to make me a corporate Christian, part of the body of Christ. And we are part of each other. So there's, there's that great symbolism that comes out. But, but then, then there's what I call uh, the... Uh, 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 that's the reality and then there's the great symbolism and that's baptism uh, it has always been my practice when I baptize people uh, uh, before I immerse them I usually say I baptize you in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and then as I'm plunging them underneath the water that sounds like a good word uh, um I say, you are being buried with Christ in his death. See, that's the symbolism. And then when I bring them up out of the water, I say, you have been raised with Christ in the newness, in newness of life. And that's the great symbolism of baptism. That's what baptism is all about. When someone is baptized, they're professing what God has already done in their hearts. They are not being baptized to be saved. They are not being baptized to become part of a covenant family. They are being baptized because they are in the new covenant under Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what baptism is all about. So that's what he's talking about. And Paul's emphasis as we look at this chapter, and we'll look at Romans chapter 6 in a moment, but it's our union with Christ, being united with Christ in all that happens. And again, see, Christ is central in all of these things. And uh, we are united with him in his death and resurrection. 
And if you'll notice what it says here, it says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are raised with him. And in the original, there are two things that are important. It, because the verb indicates something that happened in the past to us. And it also indicates something that was done to us that we had nothing to do with. Did you get that? It happened in the past, and it's something we had nothing to do with. So you could translate it, having been buried together with him. Also, having been raised together. You notice, having been. It's something that is past. You as a believer, you as a believer have already gone through that because he is now explaining what that transformation is. It's being, being buried with Christ, being raised with him. That's what that whole transformation is all about that he's been talking about in verse 11. And so it's important for us to, uh, to understand it. And, and to Paul, uh, um, this is an important theme throughout his preaching. Go down to verse 20 of, of Colossians uh, 2. He says, Wherefore, better translation, since you have died with Christ. Notice that? That's the principle. Since you have died with Christ. Again, look at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Since you have been raised together with Christ. Verse 3. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. So that's Paul's whole theme. We live with Christ. We, die, we died with Christ. We live with Christ. Our life is all tied up in Jesus Christ. And he really explains this very, in very much detail, uh, very carefully in uh, Romans chapter 6. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 6. And I think this is, this is a, a, a key passage that we must know and understand if we are to live victoriously, not only, listen, not only over legal, legalism, but over our own flesh and those things which keep us from growing into the likeness of Christ. In Romans chapter 6, let me just read the first verse. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin or better? Shall we continue sinning in order that grace may abound? In other words, well, I'm saved by grace. I can go a lot of grace coming. And, and, and what's, he, what's he doing? Well, he's, he's, uh, he's really clarifying the statement he made in chapter 5 verse 20 he says where sin abounded grace superabounded grace superabounded and he's saying now that doesn't mean that because grace superabounds where sin uh, sin abounds that you can just go on sinning because there's a lot of grace don't worry about it that's not what he's saying he says that's not what i'm saying and he said the the first two words I like to translate in verse 2 this way. Don't even think about it. 
Don't even think about it. Don't let it come to your mind. You see, the whole purpose of Romans chapter 6 is to show us our freedom from the bondage of sin. Our freedom from the bondage of sin. But, and he goes on in, in the chapter and uh, uh, from the uh, <clears throat> verse 3 right down to the end of verse 10. He explains the whole business of our union with Christ. This great thing. We were united with him in his death. When he died, we died. When he was raised, we were raised. We were bound together with him in his death and resurrection. And then what I want to show you here, because I think it's vital and important, is go down to verse 10. And he makes a very interesting statement in verse 10. He says, For in that he, that is Christ, died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Let me give you a little clearer translation. It says, it says there, Because he had died he died unto sin once and only once. Now, Paul is, Paul is making a very clear distinction here. And if you understand the book of Romans, he's writing to a church that is partly Jewish and partly Gentile. And so he's making it very clear that compared to the Old Testament system where sacrifices were going on all day long every day and sacrifices for sin were constant, he says Christ died once and only once. And... He goes on and says to the contrary in that he is living he is living toward God towards the thing that God things that God wants and so he, he makes this statement and it's important because if you look at verse 11 he says likewise uh, probably better translated in this manner. In the same way that Christ died only once to sin, in the same manner you die once to sin. In the same manner that Christ was raised by God, you be raised by God to a new life and a new and living way. Okay? And you can't, you can't dissociate verse 11 from verse 10. But what verse 11 does and the two following verses is underscore our responsibility as believers to appropriate what we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. It's one thing to know it in my head, but it's one thing to another thing to live it out in my life. That's something that is totally different. Living it out and knowing it are two different things. One is intellectual. One is intimate work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. You see? And so he says, you got to work it out. you got to work it out. He says, 
regard yourself or reckon yourself or see yourself also as dead indeed. And that word indeed, you could change it to be for sure, to sin. You say, oh, oops, I got a problem. I sin. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this is what he says. You've got to have the right attitude to have the right victory. You've got to have the right attitude to have the right victory. So he says, Regard yourself as dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, In the same manner as Christ, you see yourself. Why? Because you're living in Christ, because you were united with Him in His death and His resurrection, and you're living by Him and through Him every day, and Christ is everything in your life, so you regard yourself to be just like Jesus Christ. Have His life working in you. That's why Paul could say, I I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I am living, yet not I, but Christ is living in me. And the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the great question is, do I, do I only understand that intellectually or do I understand it experientially? And we can understand it experientially. And that's why he says in verse 12, Therefore, or because of this, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodily. Let, let me give you a, a better translation. It says, Accordingly, do not let sin continue to rule in the sphere of the body that is subject to death. That's what the mortal body means, one that's subject to death, you see. Your body's going to die. We don't know who's closer here, but we're all going to die sometime. So our bodies are subject to death. He says, don't let this body, the flesh that you're in, make you continue to walk in sin. Because it's just going to die. So don't, notice what he says. He says, with a view to listening to it. That's a literal translation with a view of listening. Don't listen to what your body has trying to tell you to do that is against Christ. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. When, when you are standing there and you got your Bible in your hand and you say, oh, it's time for so-and-so to come on TV. Um, don't listen to your body. Take the word of God. Go spend time alone with God. You see? Don't, don't listen to your body when it says, ah, it doesn't matter if I go 95 in a, a 60. <laughs> Nobody's going to catch me. You see, you're listening to the body. Uh, the, 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 the spirit says, obey the authorities and obey and obey the rules. And so he says, don't listen to your body. Don't listen to your body uh, in, in the sphere of its strong desires. Uh, that is, is something that's interesting. The word lust means strong desires. Do you ever, do you ever feel like you want to do something you know you shouldn't do? 
I know most of you don't ever. No. <laughs> but that strong desire is your lusts driving you, you see. And he said, don't listen to it. Don't listen. Don't, don't pay any attention to it. He says, those lusts belong to your flesh and yourself. They're not of God. So don't listen to them. Why? Because you have been buried with Christ. Because you have been raised and you're living a new life. You're living a new kind of resurrection life in Christ. Then he goes on in verse uh, um, uh, 13. And it says in the, the uh, King James, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Let me give you a, a, a little translation. It says, Not even presenting your, the members of your... your the members of yours as weapons of unrighteousness to the offenses against God. And by the way, that's a command. It's not an option. It's not an option. And why isn't it an option? He says, because you are alive with God through Jesus Christ. See, the command is there because the resources have been provided. And we are to live in the fullness of obedience to those commands. And I have to, I don't know about you, I have to keep reminding myself about that. I have all the resources, I have all the resources, but am I using them, you see? And he says, he says make sure that you don't present your members, that by members he means the, your arms, your mind, your eyes, your lips, your ears, as weapons of unrighteousness that offend God, but present them as instruments or weapons that will bring righteousness and glorify God. So what I do every morning, or what I should do every morning, is when I get out of bed, here's the instruments, God. You take hold of them. They're yours. You use them today. Use them as weapons of righteousness. And you see, what Paul is teaching us in this chapter in Romans is that you have been freed from the slavery of sin. You have been freed from the slavery of sin. And let me just say this because you might misunderstand what I'm not what I'm saying is I am not saying you have been freed from the ability to sin you see the difference I am able to sin I'm a sin a saint who can sin but I am not a slave of sin anymore sin does not control me sin is not the one that keeps me because, because I have died with Christ and I'm living in a new life. I died to sin, I'm alive to God. And so uh, I am no longer a slave to sin. There's an old hymn. 
I don't know why they get rid of some of these old hymns, but they do. Uh, but it, it, it always reminds me of this chapter in Romans. It's called Glorious Freedom. I'll just read the, it's two verses and the chorus in the middle. It says, Once I was bound by sin's holding fetters, chained like a slave, I struggled in vain. But I received the glorious freedom when Jesus broke my fetters in twain. Glorious freedom, wonderful freedom, no more in chains of sin I repine. Jesus, the glorious emancipator, now and forever he shall be mine. Freedom from fear and all of its toils. Freedom from care and all of its pain. Freedom in Christ, my blessed Redeemer. He who has rent my fetters in twain. Isn't that beautiful? He, he, he tore it all apart. He, he, sin, sin shall not have dominion. He tells us later in verse 14, sin shall not have rule or dominion over you because you are not under law, you are under grace. And so we have this great truth. So, I ask myself the question, okay, David, how can this be possible? How am I going to be able to have this happen in my life in 2018, 2019, or however long God wants me to hang around? How is it going to happen? Is it possible? And you know, I think Paul anticipates this question in our minds. Say, oh, that's easy for you to say, Paul. We've been buried with Christ. You, you had a vision. You went to heaven. You, you had everything we don't have. And what he says is, uh, you have everything I have. <laughs> but notice what he says in the last part. It says, through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him, that is Christ, from the dead. In other words, he's saying, let me give you a, a direct quote here again. Through the reality of the active power of God who raised Christ out of the corpse. Christ was dead, dead, and God made him alive. You were dead, dead, and God made you alive. And that same power that made Christ alive is at work in you. And that power that is at work in you is going to be the power that keeps you from being a slave to sin and walking in righteousness. And that's how David is going to be able to walk in 2018 and 2019 because the power of God that is dynamic and actively working through Jesus Christ is dynamically and actively working in me and you so we can be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Isn't that a, isn't that a marvelous thing? He, that's, that's the whole business of the operation that was necessary for the transformation. Now that's transformation, isn't it? It's, it's like the a uh, uh, fellow said to me uh, when I was teaching Bible college, he said, I ain't like I used to was. 
And uh, that's what God does. He, he, he takes us from what we were to what he wants to make us, what he wants us to become. And he works on us by his grace. And uh, so we have the same active power working in us. And, 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 and let me just say this. Uh, the whole essence of what is being said here is, okay, you've been raised out of the grave. You've been raised out of a corpse. Don't go back into the grave again. Don't go back into the grave again. Have you ever noticed on Halloween that all the dead people come out of the graves, but they go back into the graves when Halloween's over? Well, we're dead people that come out of the grave and we're not going back into the grave because we're alive in Jesus Christ. You see? And he says, so don't go back into the slavery and the grave of sin's control over your life. Live in the glory of the freedom that is yours in Jesus Christ. So that's how the operation works. And then in verse 13, he explains how this already mentioned uh, uh, operation gives us provision for our lives the provisions from the transactions what does all this transaction that we've talked about dying with Christ and being raised provide with us <clears throat> he says and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. He begins in this verse by st stating our state B.C. That's not a province. That's before Christ. He, he makes it very clear of what we were before Christ. Notice what he has to say. He says that you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He said, before you came to know Christ, you were dead. It's very interesting that we as believers have two kind of deaths. We, we were born dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. We were born dead. And when we were born again, we died to sin. So we have two kinds of deaths. The one is a destructive death, and the other is a constructive death. The destructive death was what we were born into. Uh, we'll, we'll see it in a verse in a moment. But we were children of wrath by nature. We were, we were born enemies of God. We were born hostile to God. And if you're here without Jesus Christ, that means you're hostile to God. You're an enemy of God. You're fighting against God. And you need to know that transformation that comes by coming to Jesus Christ and having him cleanse you. But those of us who are children of God, that's what we were. And one of the things I notice that Paul does so often is he keeps reminding us, in case we forget, what we used to be. 
He, he does it over and over again in every one of his epistles. He keeps telling us where we, where, where we were, what we used to be, the terrible mess we were in. Why does he do this? Because if I realize the, the depth of the uh, degradation that God has saved me from, I will see the wonder of the great salvation that he has provided for me. And it's not until I understand the sinfulness of my sin and my own sinfulness that I will understand the glory of the great salvation that brought me from death to life, that brought me into the resurrection life. And so Paul keeps bringing us back to that all the time. In that second chapter of Ephesians, uh, uh, verse 3, it says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in the times past in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just like everybody else we were there once isn't that wonderful but God saved us God saved us. And that's, that's what this is all about. And that's what he's talking about. We've been transformed so that there is nothing out there in the world, whether it's humanism, whether it's legalism, whether it's intellectualism, that can destroy you and I as God's people. Because we as God's people have been taken out of that. We are no longer in it. The world does not belong to you. And then... The other thing that Paul is constantly uh, turning to, and it's a, a, a wonderful thing, it says in, in verse 13, you being dead in the, the, uh, your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he hath quickened. God gets into action. God gets into action. It's the action of God that is the wonder. You know, in that fourth verse, those uh, of Ephesians chapter 2, those two words. But God. I was a mess. But God. But God. God steps in. And God has stepped in so that you and I can know and understand the great mercy that he has, the great love he has, and the great salvation that we have. And so it's important for us to understand that God went in action on our behalf, poured out His grace, and saved us so we would not go to hell. And it's, uh, it's very interesting. Just look at uh, uh, that passage in Ephesians. If you just turn quickly to that passage in Ephesians. In the King James, it says, You hath he quickened. Uh, that, that is not in the original. That, those whole three verses, verses 1 through 3, are talking about what we used to be. And, and in the original, it says, You who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked. And he, he goes on. And then in verse 4, he says, But God, but God who's rich in mercy with his great love where he loved us, says, even when we were dead in sins. And the word sins there means 
in constant offenses against God. We were constantly offending God. And even while we were doing that, even while we were doing that, God showed his mercy to us. Isn't that something? Unbelievable. He says, and he has raised us up together. Notice using that same uh, motif again here. Raising us up together with Christ. This is, this is the secret. He says, he hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace you're saved through faith. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies or better in heavenly places in Christ Jesus you see God God not only saved us not only saved us from the power of sin but he gave us intimate relationship with Christ in heaven so you and I can have intimate relationship with him and, and that's the strength of our Christian life. And I have to ask myself, how, how much time am I, am I spending in that intimate relationship with him? How much time am I getting to know him and understand him? And uh, 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 he, he does this all, he says in verse 7, so that he can show his loving kindness to us. And, and we can learn. Uh, I, 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 I remember... Uh, the few years that I had my father that whenever anything happened uh, I always knew his arms would be around me and his love would be there and I I can still today feel those hugs uh, as he as he helped me through the growing pains of being a young boy you know uh, and uh, uh, to think that in in, in an infinite sense God does that. He's got his loving arms around us. That, that great verse says, underneath are the everlasting arms. You see? And this is the great truth. This is the great truth. And you ask yourself the question, yeah, but how are we going to make it? How are we going to make it? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 24, he says, Faithful is he who called you who will also do it. And uh, if you notice that it's not as, as uh, um, Paul says in Ephesians 2, it's not out of ourselves. It's not out of our works. It's God who called us, who's faithful, who will do it. And I think it's vital and important for us to understand that. Jude puts it this way in the 24th and 25th verses. He says, Now unto him that is able, that, that word able means achieving power, has achieving power to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with great joy. That word falling has the idea of falling away. You can't fall away. Why? Well, I obeyed all the rules. and No. It's his achieving power to keep me from falling. It's his achieving power. And how does he exercise that achieving power? By, by teaching, by instruction, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and by sometimes taking the paddle to me. You see? 
and, and straightening me out. It says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and correcteth everybody who is the son. So God, God, uh, God's keeping power is at work in us. He works through the Holy Spirit and the word. And he works through discipline in our lives. And so God is the one who keeps us. But he has the power to do that in his achieving power. And his power is in Christ. And he says to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And one of the great things I look forward to, I don't know about you, but I really look forward to the day when I shall see him and become like him because I will at that point be faultless. Not because of me, but because of him. Because of him. And seeing him, you see, it says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, And God made him to be sin or probably a better translation is a sin sacrifice for us who do no sin in order that what was God's purpose that we might become the righteousness of God in him and God's purpose God's purpose for you and I according to Romans 8:28 is that we were decreed to be conformed to the image of his son. Isn't that wonderful? And how does he do it? Through his own son's death and resurrection. And through God's achieving power. And so as you go out this week. And as you uh, deal with all the issues that you have to in life. Remember. Faithful is he who called you. Who will also do it. Who will also do it. Let's pray together. Father. Thank you for these great truths. Uh, so deep. Yet so simple. And yet seem so difficult. Because we struggle with the flesh. And thank you that you have. Given us even the secret over the flesh. That if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Through the grace that Christ has provided, I pray that we might learn to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. So that you might truly be glorified and the world may see that we have been with Jesus. To the glory of your name we pray. Amen.